I hope you've had a good Christmas. It's good to be uh, together, smaller group than usual, but even so, it's good to, uh, to be together with each other and to uh, have a few new faces amongst us as well. And uh, here at Trinity Chippenham, as Dave mentioned at the start, our kind of vision statement is for all to be transformed by the glorious love of the Trinity. And the emphasis there is really on the glorious love of the Trinity that will bring transformation. It's not on the transformation part, because if we don't get a clear glimpse of the glorious love of God, if we don't see that clearly, then we can easily descend into turning church into kind of a peer pressure environment. Do you know what I mean by that? Like we've got to live up to certain standards and you need to be good people and we can pressure each other to try to live up to some sort of group moral standard. But actually Christianity doesn't say that we've got to get our acts together. It recognizes that we cannot get our acts together and it says God has done the work. He has done everything. And if we will catch a glimpse of that, then we can be transformed. And actually, we discover uh, here at Trinity and, and lots of other places the same thing, that the more we discover about God's love, the more the transformation is occurring. It's a growing thing. None of us have arrived. We're all works in progress, and we're so thankful for God who is faithful to us. Now, thinking about uh, Christmas, just uh, one last time before we leave Christmas behind for another year, Uh, There's lots of things that come with Christmas. There's uh, food and festivities and fun and family and all of those Fs. There's one other F that is quite a big thing for people, and that's film. Films are a big deal at Christmas. I remember uh, back in the day getting the Radio Times and scanning it to see what films would be on this Christmas, films that normally you'd have to pay money for, you could actually see on television, which was a bit of a bonus. Uh, Maybe go into the cinema as well, and a few people have done that recently. Uh, with Star Wars coming out. And so uh, films are a big deal. And one of the plots, one of the type of films that is always uh, kind of one of the big sellers is what we call technically an epic quest. It doesn't matter the title or the type of film, but an epic quest is where a group of people are brought together to go on a journey to achieve some sort of goal. And as the viewer, you kind of experience it with them. You have all the emotions, all the ups and the downs of the journey, and then the ultimate achievement at the end. Uh, For some of you, you may be the generation of Lord of the Rings. That was an epic, epic quest, 12 hours of it. That was a a long journey to get to a destination. Uh, Maybe some of you are more Wizard of Oz generation. Another epic quest, not quite so epic, but it was a quest nonetheless. Uh, And there was a film, actually Star Wars is a bit of an epic quest in its own way. It's a a feature of it, the latest one. But there's a film that came out, I forget, maybe 20 years ago called Saving Private Ryan. It's been out long enough. I'm not going to spoil it. I am going to spoil it, and I'm not going to apologize because you've had your chance to see it. Saving Private Ryan, based uh, during the Second World War. The story is actually quite simple, but it's very gripping. It's about a woman in America who had four sons, and these four sons were fighting in different parts of the world during the Second World War, and three of them had been killed. And so this American general found out about this woman and how much she had sacrificed for her country by giving her sons over to the U.S. military, and three of them were now dead, and he said, there's no way the fourth one's going to die. And so this fourth one, I think his name was James Ryan, Private Ryan. He was the youngest. He was the lowest rank. He was the most insignificant person in all the American military. But for that general, he was the target. We've got to get him safely out. 
And so he got hold of this seasoned veteran kind of soldier uh, played by Tom Hanks, uh, Captain Miller. And Captain Miller had a group of soldiers who were very good soldiers. And they were sent on this quest to go deep behind enemy lines, deep into occupied France to find Private Ryan and to get him safely out. And if you ever saw the film, you'll know what I mean when I say it is absolutely horrific. The opening half an hour or so of uh, D-Day, the landings, and just the, the, the sheer horror of that was overwhelming. That could have been the film in itself, but it just kept on going, and they kept on going. And eventually, they found Private Ryan. They found their goal, and they got him, and they rescued him, and they brought him out. And as they were bringing him out, they were caught in a, in a battle. And the, the captain, Miller, who had led the party to rescue him, was fatally wounded, And as he's lying there beside the road, uh, wounded and dying, he speaks to this young, scared soldier, and he says, now earn this. And with the magic of Hollywood, you fast forward and you find yourself standing next to Private Ryan, now as an old man. And he's standing before the grave in one of those military cemeteries, the grave of Captain Miller. And next to him, I forget if it's his wife or his daughter, he just says with tears, I think, on his face, he says, tell me I've lived a good life. Tell me I'm a good man. It's another epic quest, a story of a journey, somebody going to extreme lengths to achieve a goal. And I'd like us to look at an epic quest today, the story of the greatest seeker the world has ever known. Let's look at the story of Zacchaeus. It's in Luke's gospel. Uh, If you have one of the church Bibles, I think it's page 878. And uh, Luke is four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. They're four books that tell the story of uh, Jesus coming, being born, living, his ministry, his miracles, and his stories, and his teaching, and then his death on the cross, and then his uh, resurrection, and then return to heaven. And so you'll find it on page 878, Luke chapter 19, starting at verse 1, the story of Zacchaeus. So starting at verse 1, you see the big number 19, the little title, Jesus and Zacchaeus, and we'll just read from there. He, that is Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Let's pause there. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He announced about eight, nine, ten chapters ago, he's going to Jerusalem. He's predicted that he's going there to die. And as he's traveling from the north down south towards Jerusalem, uh, he would naturally come to Jericho, kind of a stop, a last uh, service station, if you like, before he'd take the tricky road up to Jerusalem. And you stop at Jericho for refreshment, for fruit, for uh, food. It's a, a city with lots of... Uh, fruit sellers. 
And typically, you'd probably stop there and lodge there, but Jesus was passing through. He was, he was on the move. He wasn't going to stop and, and, and kind of take his time. He had somewhere to be, so he's just passing through, maybe refusing hospitality along the way because he needed to be somewhere else. And the story then tells us that there was a man who was desperate to see him. Zacchaeus. We're told three things about Zacchaeus. We're told, first of all, that he was a a tax collector. Now, a tax collector, it's probably bad enough these days, a tax collector in that culture would be seen as an absolute traitor. This would be somebody colluding with the Romans who were the occupying force. The Romans couldn't understand the locals. They couldn't figure out when they were being told a story or whether they were being told the truth. And so they would get a local person who would be willing to sacrifice their dignity and their standing in the community in order to give the information needed to the Romans or actually to just give them the money. They were given the power to collect the money from the market traders and the sellers and the farmers and so on. And you see, the way it worked was this. Zacchaeus would, would, uh, as a tax collector, he would sit there and someone would pass by at the end of the day and he'd say, you need to pay your taxes. And the man would spit on the ground and walk up to him and say, okay, well, I've only sold this much. And Zacchaeus would say, no, you haven't. I know you've sold this much because that's what you do on a day like today. And they couldn't pull the wool over his eyes And they couldn't resist because if they said, we only want to pay this much, all Zacchaeus had to do was click his fingers and, and, you know, like the Roman soldiers, Guido and Stefano, whatever they were called, they'd step forward with their long spears and poke people in the chest and say, you're going to obey him or what? And so they'd hand over the money, they'd pay their taxes and Zacchaeus would put some in his pocket and some in an envelope to Rome. And the person would turn and walk away and spit on the ground because they hated tax collectors. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Actually, we're told he was a chief tax collector. That probably means that he was up the pyramid. So he had other tax collectors working for him. So not only was his pockets, his pockets being lined by his take, he was also getting a cut of everybody else's take that worked under him. It's kind of like one of those pyramid marketing things that sound so amazing when you fall for them, but they're just annoying to everybody else. And here was Zacchaeus kind of in the pyramid, and he was actually making money because he was a chief tax collector. And he had the Roman soldiers to back him up. Just to add insult to injury, Luke tells us he was a chief tax collector and he was rich. I don't need to say that. It's obvious he's going to be rich. But Luke really wants us to know how hated Zacchaeus would have been. This wasn't like a, a junior chief tax collector. This was a chief tax collector that had been doing it for a while, had been keeping money for quite a while, and he'd built up some saving. He was wealthy. He wasn't driving around in a cheap donkey. You know, he had a BMW donkey. He had the best of the best. He would have had a good phone if they had them in those days. I mean, Zacchaeus, he had it all together as far as wealth is concerned. But there's one thing about him that he didn't have, and that was height. Zacchaeus was short. Now, I've got to be careful what I say because I could easily insult people. I I just want to say I am sure that it's lovely being short. I've never experienced it. I was the tallest on day one of primary school, and I was tallest in my class all the way through. I think I was five foot six at 10 or something ridiculous. I mean, I've always been tall. So I, I honestly understand there are advantages to being tall, 
like at church, on a normal Sunday, people often ask me, have you seen so-and-so? And I can spot them. They're over there chatting to Becky or whatever because, you know, height has its advantages. But actually, let me just reassure you if you're short, uh, being short has its advantages too. School discos, I hated them. You might have enjoyed them because when you're short, you can hide in a crowd. And actually, Zacchaeus had a potential advantage here because Jesus was coming that way and he wanted to see Jesus. And so while he didn't have the stand up at the back of the crowd advantage like I would have, he had the sneak through the crowd and get to the front advantage like our children would have. A couple of years ago, we were in uh, Chicago, wasn't it, uh, for a, a July the 4th parade where they celebrate being independent from us, which I find quite amusing. But we're, it was about 3 million degrees. It was the hottest day ever, I think. And, and we were stood there trying not to die. And all these people were parading past. And, and I could stand at the back and see everything. My children could just sneak to the front, slip through the legs of the crowd, you know, sit at the front, and then when they're throwing sweets out, they should have been throwing water bottles and ice cubes, but they were throwing sweets out, and my children could be at the front, they could get them. And so here Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus, Jesus is coming that way, and if he knows what he's doing as a short person, he just needs to push through the crowd, get to the front, and he's got a perfect view of Jesus. But he doesn't do that. Why not? Why wouldn't Zacchaeus just say, excuse me, coming through, excuse me, and get to the front and get the perfect view? The answer is because he was a chief tax collector and he was rich. And the last thing in the world Zacchaeus would have considered doing was leave uh, the sight of his soldier bodyguards and slip through a crowd of people that hated him. You know, Zacchaeus is a, is a Bible story that's always in children's Bibles, For the simple reason that he was short and he climbed trees. So I think children can relate to that. But actually, if you really told it the way it would have been, you wouldn't put it in a children's Bible story. Because the reason he wouldn't slip through the crowd is because with all those fruit sellers and fruit farmers, they'd all have their little knives in their pockets, just a little glint of steel, a little stabbing motion. And then when the crowd disperses, oh no, there's Zacchaeus on the floor. He literally would have taken his life into his hands to press through a crowd like that. It'd be like wearing the wrong football shirt and going the wrong way outside of a stadium in Italy. It'd be dangerous. You wouldn't want to do that. You see, Zacchaeus wasn't going to push through the crowd, but he was desperate to see Jesus. And so he did two things that actually, from our perspective, sound kind of normal. Like, you know, yeah, you could do that. But in the Middle East are completely bizarre. First of all, he ran And secondly, he climbed a tree. Now, first of all, running. The Middle Eastern male, grown adult male, anyone over the age of 13, would not want to be seen running. It would be humiliating. You'd have to hoist the skirts of your robe, bare your kind of hairy legs, your knobbly knees. You know, it's quite hard, I would imagine, to run in a skirt. And so men wouldn't do that. They think we're weird. I remember hearing the head of the Egyptian Bible Society probably 20 years ago at Spring Harvest, and he was telling the story of um, the prodigal son where the father runs to the son, and he got stuck at this point. It's like he couldn't continue because he was trying to get across to the crowd. We do not run. My father would never run. And then he he said, I've seen you on the television, on the London Marathon. Not only do you run, you dress up like chickens and run, like... You don't understand that we would never do that. 
And so Zacchaeus hoisted the skirts of his robes and he ran. Bizarre. That's how desperate he was. He didn't care what people said. He didn't care how much mockery and how many comments. He was just desperate to see Jesus. And then he climbed a tree. Now, if running is tricky in a skirt, I imagine climbing a tree is extra tricky in a skirt. One thing that's certain is that Zacchaeus would have not, he would not have been up on the branch, perched there like in the Bible stories, you know, kind of like this, with, with one leg in the air and kind of waving at Jesus. Like, cooey, I'm up here. He would have been hiding in that tree. A sycamore fig has big leaves. He would have disappeared into that tree. It was the perfect hiding spot. Nobody would look there. Nobody would expect to see anyone. And so there Zacchaeus hid, perfect vantage point, a bit like a bird watcher in reverse, ready to watch Jesus come past. And then we come to verse 5. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus. Let's stop right there because that is the moment where Zacchaeus' heart would have stopped. What do you think would happen? Jesus is walking along. He's coming through the town. Everybody's excited to see him. He comes out the other side of the town, and instead of heading off into the distance, he stops and points up into a tree and declares the name Zacchaeus. Guaranteed, everybody would have looked. Number two, you can almost certainly guarantee everybody would have gathered. This is bonus time, bonus material. Not only do we get to see Jesus, this famous miracle worker from up north, we get to see Zacchaeus in a tree, humiliated. This is like all their dreams come true. They would have gathered around the base of that tree like a mob, ready to rip him to shreds. Starting with laughter very quickly, turning very ugly. I remember a few years ago seeing a video of, uh, of some American soldiers that were caught in Iraq by a mob, and the mob grabbed them and ripped them apart, and I wished I'd never seen it. It was a hideous video. That's what this would have been like. A mob goes from laughter and, and jeering and, and joking and jesting to anger and rage so fast it's unbelievable. And Zacchaeus is in a tree, but they're not going to overstep the mark. Jesus has initiated. Maybe Jesus is going to put him in his place. Zacchaeus, you wretched man, you don't deserve to be one of us. You've been a traitor to your people and a traitor to your God, and, and you've stolen from us, and you need to get your sorry little self down here and go up to Jerusalem and make a million sacrifices and crawl back here on your hands and knees, and then maybe we won't give you what you deserve. That's what they're wanting. That's what they're expecting Jesus to say. And instead, what does Jesus say? Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus got out of that tree like lightning. I think Zacchaeus would have come out of that tree and landed right next to Jesus and pressed right up against him because he saw in that moment a ticket out of certain disaster. 
Jesus has just honored him with an invitation, a request for hospitality. I will give you the honor of hosting me. That's amazing. Why would Jesus want to be Zacchaeus' guest? We, we might read that and get it backwards because we're, we're British, most of us, and, and, and we go, I'd never invite myself over to someone's house. How rude. But in the Middle Eastern context, this is the ultimate honor. I am willing to sit down at a table with you and fellowship with you, and as we eat, we'll talk and we'll laugh and we'll be best of friends. What an honor. And it blew Zacchaeus' heart wide open. He got down out of that tree, pressed up against, just imagine him. I don't know what you're doing. (laughs) Let's go. Quick, quick, quick. And they would have edged their way out of that crowd and got away as quickly as possible. Because Jesus had given Zacchaeus escape from the anger of the crowd. We know that from verse 7. If you look at verse 7, it's all about anger. It's maybe slightly hidden in, in our translation, but it's there nonetheless. When they saw it, they grumbled. And that word grumbled, it's like a murmur that's growing. It's like one of those kind of dull roars that's going to explode at any point. It's getting louder and it's getting louder. And who are they angry with? He. Zacchaeus? No. He has gone in to be the guest of a sinner. They're angry with Jesus. You see what Jesus has done in this moment? He's come to Zacchaeus and found Zacchaeus in absolutely the worst possible circumstance. Almost guaranteed death, certainly guaranteed a very rough moment in his life. Roman soldiers couldn't do anything unless they could get a garrison there fast because Zacchaeus is in trouble. And Jesus recognizes what's going on and extends grace to him, undeserved, loving grace. I want fellowship with you. And in that moment, what Jesus has done is an incredible picture of the whole message of Luke's gospel. Because in that moment, he's gone to somebody who deserves nothing but anger, and he's turned that anger from that person, he's turned it onto himself. He said, I'll take that, and I'll set you free. It's a beautiful moment. Next thing we read, verse 8, they're in the house. So you kind of have to do a little fast forward, little Hollywood magic here at this point, because suddenly they're in the house and Zacchaeus is speaking. And Zacchaeus is just overwhelmed. You can tell by what he says. He stood and he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, if you're kidding me, you certainly have. If I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. So Zacchaeus here is not earning his salvation. He's got saved at the tree. Okay, he's been released by doing nothing. There was no commitment on his part. There was no, I will turn over a new leaf. <laughs> there was no, I'm going to fix things. At that moment at the tree, Jesus set him free by his own grace. Now Zacchaeus' response is exuberant. It's, it's just a bubbling up and a bursting over. 
half of it I give away. And if I've ever stolen anything, four times the amount. Here's my checkbook. I'll sign blank checks. I mean, he's going extravagant. This is a very Middle Eastern thing to do. This is not a British golf clap kind of reaction. You know, this is, this is a big, big, lots of gesture kind of reaction. But I think actually it's the right reaction, don't you? To the grace of God that has been shown to him, he just can't contain it. He's just bubbling over. This is where we should be. If we have come to know the glorious love of the Trinity, if we have experienced the grace of God extended toward us, this is the right response. The bubbling up and the pouring out of everything within us in gratitude because we can never pay him back. It's not to pay him back. We could never pay him back, but we owe him everything. And so Zacchaeus isn't earning his salvation by some extreme commitment here. That's a total misreading of the story. This is the response of a man who's been gripped by grace. You see, Zacchaeus is the story of a seeker. Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. He sought to see Jesus, and he went to extreme lengths. He ran where no other man would do that in that culture. He climbed a tree when no man would do that in that culture. It was just extreme seeking on Zacchaeus' part. But I said this is the story of the greatest seeker the world has ever known, and the greatest seeker is not Zacchaeus. Look at verse 10. As Jesus comes to the end of this moment with Zacchaeus, his punchline is this. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus was a seeker. Jesus is the seeker. Zacchaeus ran and climbed a tree. Jesus traveled from heaven all the way to this earth, all the way to the cross to die on that tree. With Zacchaeus, he turned the anger of the crowd onto himself to set Zacchaeus free. For us, Jesus went right to the tree, and if in effect, he climbed up on it and was crucified on it, and he took the anger of his father against the sin of humanity, against your sin, against my sin, he turned that anger onto himself in order to set us free. Zacchaeus traveled a hundred yards Jesus traveled the ultimate distance, and he did it for us. He went all the way, not because we deserved it, not because we could earn it, not because we've committed ourselves to anything. He went all the way when we were nothing but sinners, enemies of God, filled with sin, hating him, shaking our fists at heaven. And Jesus said, you know what? I love you. I'm going to die for you. That's the message of the Bible. It's the message of the gospel. It's good news. It's the best news. And he never says to us, now earn this. We can't. He never says to us, be a good person. We can't. He says, I'll do it all for you. And as we discover the glorious love of God revealed in the journey that his son took to the cross, our hearts, I hope, are stirred with the response of Zacchaeus to to, to bubble up and praise and worship and give and give and give more. Never as something we determine, but as the response of hearts that are gripped by the grace of God revealed in Jesus. He went all the way to the tree 
And he turned the anger that we deserved onto himself. And now he wants to fellowship with us. He wants to have us as his friends. He wants to sit down and have a meal with us. What a God. What a completely different message than what we might have expected. The Bible isn't fix your life, fix your life. It says you cannot fix your life. But Jesus has done it anyway. He's done it all. He's paid the price and he invites us to simply trust him. In effect, to be like Zacchaeus and when Jesus extends grace to us, to be like Zacchaeus and saying, okay, I identify with you. I've got no other hope. I've got no plan B. I'm going to accept your love and your forgiveness. Count me in. Forgive me for my sin. I am in your family. If you're prepared to go that far for me, I'm all yours.